You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. In today's show, we bring back a man simply known as Big Ron. He's been a contributor over the years for State of the Texans, and many of you Twitter followers know him because of his uh, presence over there. Welcome aboard, everybody. I'm Robert Land, also host of the Houston Sports Talk podcast. You might know me from my work over there, along with my co-host, Brian Patterson, who you know from HouseofHouston.com. Thanks for diving into your best daily source of Texans news, views, and interviews. And Big Ron, it's been too long since we've talked to you. And just to, to start off with, you know, we're, we've been trying to fix the Texans kind of one show at a time where we talk about the different position groups. But the offensive line is something that, you know, I think a lot of fans struggle with. I know me and Brian struggle with because, you know, we, we don't consider ourselves necessarily experts. So everybody is kind of flying blind through this. You just kind of go go about it with what you see. What what did you see from the Texans offensive line? And maybe you can take us in some sort of direction on how to fix these, uh, how to fix that whole group going into next year. I think it was a mixed bag. I think First off, I think there was a, a, a lack of, of consistency. I think there was quite a bit of shuffling going on, um, you know, due to, first off, Chantrell Henderson, who we really didn't get much of a look at, but who who possibly was their biggest upside move of the offseason when he got hurt very, very early in the going. Um, and so that automatically meant shuffling from day one. Um, I think Martinez Rankin, uh, with with his early season injury being on pup and um, missing a lot of camp, that put him behind uh, physically and as far as developing. Um, those were two big additions last off season. Um, I, I think um, you know both uh, Fulton and uh, Zach Fulton and, and Senio Calamente. Both of them were, I mean, probably second or or even third tier free agent additions. That, I mean, you really didn't didn't pay any type of top money for and and they played about up to that capability or up to that level um and then you you had your your young guys that you that you've been trying to grow and mold and Julian Davenport in his second year and and he you know played about like a second year player uh, at the status at his draft as a late round pick in the second year he played about at that level Kendall Lamb, uh, I don't understand why he's even still a Texan, frankly. Um, so, I mean, I, I think you you had some inconsistency, you had a bunch of shuffling, and you had some players who, frankly, you were hoping and, and, and wishing that they would, you know, meet some type of upside, and it just didn't, it just didn't come together ideally, especially when you really needed it most or when, it, when, when the lights were the brightest or when the competition was the stiffest was when they kind of buckled um, and, and, you know, again, between the injuries, the inconsistency in, in deployment um, and just the, the, the overall lack of talent or the lower level of talent and need for development. I think that was the, the core of the results is just a mixed bag to where you thought, you know, some games you say, Hey, you know, we're, we're running the ball pretty, pretty readily. And, it's looking good, and and um, but then next thing you know, the the pass protection was never was was an issue the whole year, and that comes from you know like I said the consistency and having tackles, particularly that have experience and and that 
have have you know made some bones in the league and, and have seen some of the types of caliber players that they're going to face on the edges. So in the run game, you know, you you had Lamar Miller get injured for a little while, and and that that hurt the run game. Um, but again, the consistency, and then um, you know, down and distance issues that they faced. So I think overall there were just just mirrored issues, and I think you know between scheme challenges, I think between the shuffling of the personnel, and I think just the the kind of not premier level of talent across the board. Uh, I think you you got the results commensurate with with that type of input into what they did. Brian and I both kind of feel that uh, Julian Davenport's going to get another shot next year. Do you mm-hmm. feel like there is potential with him? You know, we feel like it, if they're going to draft a tackle, they they might be emphasizing the right tackle and and give Davenport some more time because if you once you pull the plug on Julian Davenport at left tackle, you've pulled the plug on Julian Davenport. Period. Because he he's not going to be somebody that can play uh, different positions, back up that kind of thing. Frankly, uh, looking at Julian Davenport, I just I, I see raw material there that that can be molded. But I mean, even with top tier draft picks, I mean, you look at people like Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown took three or four years to become a Pro Bowl caliber tackle, and then you know he still continued to have ups and downs. But I mean, Dwayne, there there was some serious patience that was required with Dwayne, and this is a first round pick. Um, so, and this is someone who came out of a Virginia Tech, uh, a, a, you know, ACC, where you're playing, you know, supreme talent week in week out. That's not Davenport. So, I think if we're asking, if we're, if we're expecting Davenport to come out there and shut people out at the left tackle, I think we were fooling ourselves. And I think if the Texans thought that. They were fooling themselves. Another thing is this. Dwayne Brown had Ephraim Salam. So Dwayne Brown had a veteran that you could sub out who who had made bones, who had stripes already in the league in the scheme that the Texans were running at the time. They have no one like that right now. They have they have no veteran tackles that they could put in and count on to to have a, a, a tackle to groom in waiting. They threw Julian Davenport out there and it was trial by fire, and the results are, are as they were because of that. So I, I do see potential in Julian Davenport. I don't think we know what the ceiling is yet. Um, I think if we were to judge based on what we've seen, we haven't seen anything. We, we would want to look for a replacement or want to look for an upgrade 100%. That needs to happen, um, or you're going to still have some bumps in the road at that position. Um, I, I don't as far as but whether he's a he's a left tackle or, or can you does he have the versatility to switch? I don't know that we know that either. Um I, I would say that you you're definitely seeing him consistently played at the left side, but I mean I, I think you could see some movement there depending on what else you do um with the tackle group. Now does Chantrell Henderson come back? I don't know, but then again he would be a right tackle. Um, so you just kind of don't know. I think Julian Davenport is a project worth continuing to invest in. Um, but again, this is a late round pick who is a developmental player. If you are going to have a quarterback that is is a franchise quarterback, you need to protect him. And if if it, it, Julian Davenport is not a player that you can't say we can upgrade here and we can do it now, I mean he doesn't have he, he, you don't have anything significant. Invested in him, so 
you might as well look to upgrade, and that has to happen. So whether Julian Davenport develops or not, um, you know, be that whatever that might be, who knows? But there needs to be someone solid at the left tackle. Um, whether that's you know internally hoping that um, Chantrell comes back or, or Davenport improves, uh, you know, exponentially, or you go out and, and and play the free agent market, or you draft someone at a higher skill level than where you did with Davenport. I also want to ask you about Martinez Rankin because maybe he's an answer to help the line improve a little bit, but I want to get your thoughts on that. Just want to quickly remind our listeners that the Locked On Podcast Network has a website, LockedOnPodcast.com. It's Locked On Podcast with an S at the end, plural, and you can click around to see all of our NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, college and national fantasy and draft shows. It's all there, all of the show, nearly 100 podcasts. Again, it's LockedOnPodcast.com. All right, Ron. Well, it sounds like you're still not too sure on Davenport. I think like we we all are. Did you see anything worth anything from the short time that we saw Martinez Rankin? It it looked bad. It didn't look like he had any sort of uh, movement, uh, the ability, I guess, to, to uh, block guys that were speed guys on the edges. But maybe he's got some potential at guard. Did you see anything that you could – make anything up from the the one game that he did get to start at guard martinez ranking as a guard he's not a tackle i i just i think i think if we want to re- resolve anything i think that piece of it should be resolved martinez ranking's best position is going to be a guard if you put him at tackle you're going to waste a bunch of time and and you're going to not develop him to the highest potential that he could reach as an nfl lineman he's not a tackle he doesn't have the movement skills, nor does I mean, nor does he have the anchor in movement to be able to to anchor against a speed to power rush. He he would he would do much better both in the pass game and the run game as a guard. They need to put him there, pick one of the sides, let him develop as a guard. Stop moving him around, put him at guard, let him develop there. They, they don't need to. And see, that's the thing about offensive line play. You you get. You develop at offensive line by developing uh, cohesion with the players around you and with your own technique at that position. People, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to sell your listeners or any of us on this, in this conversation short. I think people realize that each offensive line position is an individual, unique position because you're playing a leverage based on the side of the of the center that you play on, and as well as who you're playing against and what they bring to the table. Like you alluded to. Rankin can't deal with an edge with an edge player with speed who can who can dip and rip and also give him a speed to power rush. He can, he he stands a better chance both in the pass game and the run game at guard. They need to leave him there, pick a side, and continue to do as well. Um, again, you you need to. I I think he does have potential. Um, I think he he has some talent and ability. Particularly, I like his physicality and I like his finishing of blocks. But I don't think he has the ability to hold up as a tackle. I think he will have problems consistency consistently. Um, Julian Davenport has a better chance there because of his length and the, the difference in agility and and, and uh, range there as far as movement. But but Rankin is going to struggle if you put him at guard. I think if you let him develop, then you have a chance to have a a, a nice mobile guard with some strength there. Um, but I mean, you're not going to have anyone. I don't necessarily see at this point 
And again, he, he just played one season and with with all the shuffling around him, how could he really develop anything where you could where where you could kind of plant your flag and say, okay, this is what he is. But I mean, I think his highest potential is a guard. I think they need to leave him there. And I think you may have something of a of a starter there that that could be a serviceable player. And then if he if he develops past that physically, well then that's that's all great. You know, the Texas in the offseason signed Senio Calamante to a three year uh, twelve million dollar deal uh to shore up the left guard side, you know, once filled by uh Xavier Suofilo, which uh he went by the wayside to the Dallas Cowboys, of course. How do you feel that was there any improvement to that side of the offensive line where he stood this season? Was there any uptick, any noticeable difference that you saw with Senio? Because there's going to be an absolute great chance that he's going to be back uh, because his contract is not that expensive. Uh, But did you think we made an upgrade there or um, it's just somebody to just fill the space? Let me put it this way. If you still need to upgrade from where that was, how much of an upgrade did you make? If that's you know what I mean, like yeah. from from Philo to Calamenta, you 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 still want somebody better. I still would hope eventually that Rankin takes that spot. Um, mm-hmm. So having uh, Calamenta there as a veteran presence, someone with experience, um, again a great attitude player, a great finisher. Um, he he's you know he's he struggled with quickness sometimes inside, which was which was Suofilo's issue. So I, I don't see a, a large uh, improvement there. I think there was some you know I think there was some some improvement there, but then then Kelimente struggled with injuries here and there, and I think that hampered his play. I think the the lack of consistency overall with the starting five. I mean, the only one who started consistent consistently was Martin. Um, I think. I think for what Kelamente provided, I don't think that was any better than Greg Mance. And, and frankly, I think Greg Mance is a better player. So, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think Kelamente is any great shakes at his position. I mean, I, I, I'm, that's not to say that it wasn't a prudent investment because you you got about the the ability or the skill level commensurate with what you paid him. Um, you got some spot starts and some swing uh, swing caliber play. But, I mean, again, you're still looking to upgrade that position. I think, you know, I have no problem with bringing him back, of course. I mean, I think his contract, you know, speaks to the fact that he should be brought back. I think it's a smart play, especially when it's not a position of strength and you have a veteran player who's not any, who's not by any means over the hill. You've got someone who's talented. Um, but, I mean, you're still looking to upgrade. So, uh, was it an upgrade over Sofilo? Yes, but I mean, it was a very incremental upgrade, and you're still looking to solidify the position with someone who you can, who you can count on to actually make an impact or or move people around. The reason they spent a second round pick on Xavier Sofilo was not to have you know replacement level play at guard. It was to have someone there who could who, who could you know carry carry the mail there and, and, and be a cornerstone you know, of, of what you have on your, on your front. And that didn't happen. So I look at Kelamente more of a, as more of a stopgap um, just to have a competent level of play there. Just to follow up on that, uh, when you talked about Nick Martin, how would you feel if Greg Mance were moved to center and we moved Nick Martin around, if the Texas decided to do that? I know it's, it's there's like a, you know, it would be a, a cold day in hell if that actually happened. But I, I think that this offensive line could get some 
nice results if if that were shifted around. So what are your thoughts on that? And um, it, do you think it would be a disaster or do you think that there would be some improvement? Because I honestly think that this is the best we're going to see out of Nick Martin. To be to be transparent, I was a big, big advocate of Nick Martin. Um, I do think, you know, he's still a young player and, and I do think he's still ascending. I don't think he will. I I really think that he's a center. And I would say that if you're going to move one or the other to guard, I think Mance is more of a stout player to have at guard. And I think um, I I would say Martin is better with the ball in his hand snapping, if that makes sense. Um, I think I think Mance is more would be a better player to move to guard than Martin. Uh, I think Martin actually still has upside at center. Um, I don't. I don't think he's ever going to be the caliber player his brother is, uh, Zach, up in Dallas. Um, but I do think he does have some upside at the center position, and I tend to agree with your statement that I, I don't see him being moved off a of center um, based on number one, the level of play was acceptable, and number two, the investment in him of a second round pick. So, I mean, I, and and again, I still I, I would like to see him develop. Um, I would have to look at Mance's contract status. I think we still have rights on him. So, I mean, I, if anything, I would like to see Mance maybe get more more of a look at guard, and maybe that's a, an internal solution. And then we can really put the focus on tackle, where you have you have a group of you know people competing at the guard spots. That you know maybe the, the, hopefully the, you, the hope is that Cream rises to the top, whether it's Rankin and Fulton or. or Ranking and Kelamente or Kelamente and Ranking or whatever combination, Kelamente and Mance, um, I would look to leave Martin at center and then shuffle the guards around until I find um, the, the best two and then really work on focusing on tackles that can protect. I want to flip sides of the ball a little bit, go to defense. Uh, in just a second, just want to remind everybody, if you got that new smart speaker for the holidays, remember, a great way to listen to us at all times is just – around the house or wherever you've got, you're close to that smart speaker, just say, play podcast Locked On Texans. It's that easy. And then you got us wherever you are, if you're in the kitchen making dinner or however you're using your smart speaker, it's the perfect way to do it. All right, Ron, I wanted to ask you about, on the defensive side of the ball, the big, I think, conundrum for a lot of Texans fans is, uh, Whitney Merciless and how the Texans have used him and, and how they should move forward with Whitney Merciless. What is the big difficulty with getting Whitney and Clowney and Watt both at a high level uh, when all three of those guys are healthy? That that seems to be a problem. And Whitney just, you know, we, we've suggested it, it's time to trade him if you can't figure it out because it seems like he's just a wasted asset if you're not going to have him be an edge rusher, which is where he seems to be the best fit. Uh, honestly, conundrum is is the word for it. I don't know. I, I don't know what – I, I want to say this. I want to say that m- most consistently that I've seen, other than any point in his career, J.J. Watt played left in almost exclusively. And if you're going to have him there, then that limits the other edge player, that you, and you're going to have Clowney there more often than not. So, and then when you move, if anyone moved to the interior or, or moved to an inside rush position, it was cloudy to move rather than why. And then that would be the, those would be the opportunities that, that 
that were given to, to Merciless. Then you also have the fact that Duke Edgefort, who made his presence felt uh, very early on as soon as he was given snaps. So I, I, I don't, I'm unsure of what the, the, what the dynamics there are. I don't know if there is a, I don't know if there's an issue with why not wanting to rush from the inside. And, and frankly, I don't know why they, they did not use that configuration more with why at a three technique, um, you know, inside off of a guard and then, you would have Clowney and Merciless on the edges or Edgefor and Clowney or Edgefor and Merciless e- either way. But I, I thought that, that of the amount of times, particularly late in the se- in the season, where you saw J.J. Watt rush up the field and get ushered past the quarterback and then nothing is coming from the interior and, and either the quarterback, uh, particularly Andrew Luck did it both times we played them, that he would just scoot over one side or the other, let, let the outside rush go by float in the pocket, either deliver the ball or be able to run, rush out the back door for first down yardage. I think the problem is that they didn't want to move JJ off of that perimeter and move him inside. And then also, I don't know whether I, I don't know whether they just were just too rigid or and didn't want to. I mean, but but Whitney Whitney played edge at times. And so I just, it was just a confusing thing to me. It's like, it just felt like the whole season that we were not using what we had to the best. I mean, it was to the point where I was like, is Whitney still having some residual effect of the pectoral injury or what is he, do they just, are they limiting his snaps? I mean, because they weren't paying him when you were paying him six, $7 million, you're not paying him like a part-time player. So why is he not getting more snaps? So, I mean, I don't know that that one is confusing. I do think that he would be a viable trade asset because his contract is not prohibitive in the least to trade. I think he's young enough and has has done enough to where and this this past season, notwithstanding, because he didn't put a lot on film this year, even though he did have some impact late in the season. But I do think that he could be a trade asset, and I think with players like Edgefor and even even Peter Kalambai in the in the in the fold. Um, I think you could look at, you know, Brendan Scarlett, others like that. I think you could look at moving him, especially if you're planning on on accommodating Clowney's contract demands, whether it be via the franchise tag or whether it be via contract extension. Um, I, I think you could look to trading uh, Merciless. It might maybe most beneficial for both sides because then Whitney could go somewhere where he can get into a more conventional and consistent role. Um, and then, you know, you, you have more snaps for edge four, and maybe you also have an asset in a, you know, middle round pick that you could do something else with. So, I mean, again, that's something that I would definitely look at. I do not believe that he's a player that you look at cutting or move, just moving on from without, you know, some type of, because th- th- he can still play. He's, he still has ability. He still, ha- I, I frankly, I believe he's, He's definitely a knocking on double digit sack type of player. He's a type of player can can if, if he's playing consistently can get you eight to ten sacks definitely. So I mean I don't think you as, you know as we've seen the, the league has told us or taught us that pass rush players don't just grow on trees and if you have someone who's capable they have value. So I think you have to take advantage of that. As far as the scheme piece, I just don't know, and it's one thing that has kind of made me question. The, the the coaching and the, the the strategizing as far as what they did on defense. 
Last thing I had for you real quick is your your friend Pat Starr believes that Carlos Watkins should have been used more. He he likes a lot what he's seen from Carlos Watkins and, and the Texans uh there there is a complaint a little bit from my perspective. I I know Brian loves DJ Reader. I think a lot of people out there might like DJ, but I didn't see the Texans on the pass rush get as much push from the middle outside of Clowney as I would have liked. What do you think of Watkins and, and what's going on in the middle of the, the Texans uh, defensive line? I wanted to do the same thing. I don't know why. I, I don't understand why he got so many inactives and he's not playing. And I mean, you, you have other players. I mean, not, not, don't get me wrong. I liked some of what some of the other uh, defensive front players did. Uh, I mean, you know, Covington had his moments and, um, you know, so forth and so on. And as far as Reader is concerned, I'm a big DJ Reader fan, but DJ is a limited player. And I, I'm curious, this is another thing, is I'm curious why they, they play DJ so much at, at, at the end in the front when, I mean, you know, this is a 340-pound player, and, I mean, it's not like he's giving you much rush. Now, DJ made some plays, but at the same time, I, I don't – I wonder, I, and I question – if he's being used at his most uh, most optimal, and you know, again, I, I agree. I tend to agree with, with my guy Pat. I, I do think Carlos Watkins should have been getting some more time. I frankly wondered, you know, what even happened? Was he hurt? And then he shows up. Then he, he, he ends up ringing up a sack in the stat sheet. Then he's inactive the next week um, in, in, in the playoff game. So, you know, again, I I, I question a, a lot of what they did administratively this this past season on both sides of the ball. And I, I do wonder if they are optimizing the talent that they have. There's there's so much inconsistency. They can't make up their minds who they want to play from week to week. I mean, you go out and you pay Aaron Colvin all this money, and then you, he gets hurt, sure. But then when he comes back, you won't even play him. And, and all the while, you have Sharice Wright out here getting beat like a drunk every week on double moves. Why, why are you what, – what message are you sending then to 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 Colvin or to to the rest of your team, and then Aaron Colvin has a, has a contract that's cost prohibitive to cut him. What is what is his future now? So so again, I I just I question what they're doing. I, it remains to be seen. I mean, I'm a ride with my team, but I'm I'm not one of these blind you know fans who whatever they do, I'm going to co-sign. I'm looking at it and questioning. Okay, are we using players to the best of their capabilities, or or are, is our coaching staff spread too thin to where they can't be creative and innovative and, and maximize guys' potential. Or, and or why are we grasping at straws with players like with players like uh, Sharice Wright, who, who gave you some who gave you some quality snaps? Why are we grasping at straws with players? I mean, and then when you have other players who are capable, like we talked about with Watkins, or or you know other players, why is Merciless sitting around and wasting away in coverage half the time when he's a, when he's a pass rusher? And then you've got you've got McKinney down the field trying to run with uh trying to run with TY Hilton and, and all these things. I mean, and I'm not a I'm not a millionaire defense coordinator, but I, I wonder what our millionaire defense coordinator is doing sometimes. Yeah, I think uh we're choir and you're preaching and we say amen to that. I mean, I think we all agree on that. <laughs> we all agree. Everybody in Texansville is a hundred percent behind all of that. And, and God, the time just goes too fast. It's always great to talk with you, Big Ron. Thanks for doing this. Oh, no problem. Glad to, glad to get back with you guys. Absolutely. That was Big Ron. And just a reminder before we 
close out real quick, uh, LockedOnTexans.com, HouseOfHouston.com, Houston Sports Talk, the podcast. Go find us in all of those places. You know where to find us. That's all we got for this one. Thanks for making us a part of your week. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.